Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and supported by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. In each episode, we spotlight the numerous efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. I'm your host, Elise Koning of Hoosier Ag Today. With us on the Soil Health Podcast today, we have Hans Schmitz, the lead agronomist for CCSI, and Austin Pearson, climatologist for the Midwestern Regional Climate Center. We're going to be talking today about climate, looking at where we are now and what that means for Indiana farmers, what are we looking at as far as historical data, and what does that all mean for soil health. So, Hans and Austin, welcome to the Soil Health Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, happy to be here and looking forward to the discussion. Let's start out learning about your background in this area. Hans, what is your expertise in soil health? Oh, my expertise in soil health um, basically relates to having been with Purdue Extension for 14 years now and really getting involved with um, attending trainings and then uh, taking on the role here back in March of the lead agronomist for the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Um, it's been going on a full year now of um, leading some trainings, some soil health diagnostics uh, around the state of Indiana related to soil health and climate smart agriculture. Austin, how about you? What's your expertise in soil health? Well, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in soil health by any means, but uh, I am more climate driven and, and have degrees in meteorology and climatology, kind of the same as Hans, uh, both graduates of the same program under Dr. Rich Grant. Um, <clears throat> both of us have extension backgrounds. I've worked in extension for six years, uh, developed a soil health uh, kind of a, a program for a lot of Tipton County producers. Uh, and kind of spread throughout uh, this part of central Indiana with that program. Uh, did participate in some trainings uh, with the Soil Health Nexus. So I did go up to Michigan State and and participated in that training and uh, a lot of various trainings that we had uh, within Purdue Extension itself. Now, one thing we want to introduce here that we'll be talking a lot about today is the Midwestern Regional Climate Center. What is that organization? Yeah, so uh, it's a center that's focused on climate needs uh, and primarily looking at stakeholder assessments and trying to build value-added tools uh, with climate data. And so we're actually funded by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, that's primarily in partnership with the National Centers for Environmental Information. Um, it's located at Purdue University, uh, which is a relatively, relatively le- recent uh, change as it had been at the University of Illinois for several years. Um, Dr. Beth Hall is the director, and it's also associate uh, has associate director Melissa Woodhelm, uh, who actually just recently moved over last fall uh, from the Purdue Climate Change Research Center. So um, we look at uh, you know climate data and then try to help people make informed decisions, um, and we primarily focus on agriculture and water resources. Um, within the Midwest region. Um, I did want to note that there are five other regional climate centers throughout the United States. So there's one in Northeast, 
southeast, southern, uh, western, and also in the high plains. Um, but we cover a nine-state uh, nine region uh, in the Midwest, uh, including starting in the northwest with Minnesota, down to Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. Um, and so we, we do that. We explain climate and its impact to the Midwest, provide pr practical solutions to climate problems, and also develop climate tools to assist with agriculture. Um, and so, you know, I, I am the service climatologist for the center. Um, I'm one of uh, six people that are working with the center plus an intern. Um, we do have climate data programmers uh, that are helping uh, build these value-added tools and also uh, completing service data requests. In my job, I do help a lot with uh, litigation cases. So like if a person slips and falls, uh, lawyers get involved and, and lawsuits happen, and I help pull data requests for those types of things um, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is, you know, climate services related. Uh, and that's just a kind of a brief overview of the MRCC. So Austin, I'm a user of your data. And uh, likewise, in my position, I get some requests. Uh, got one earlier this week from a crop insurance agent who wanted to prove that there was a substantial amount of rainfall in Davies County, Indiana, in the month of June. And uh, the MRCC website has a pretty easy climate uh, program that uh, I log into and can pull that information up. I've got you pulled up right now as far as the month of September and we're sitting here in mid-October and uh, you know want to plant some winter wheat. So when was the last time we had significant precipitation that would actually get anything out of the ground? And since September 20th in my neck of the woods, we have had seven hundredths of an inch of precipitation. So the yeah. ground's too dry to have anything emerge right now. Yeah. Um, so let's back up just a little bit and we'll talk a bit, a little, a little bit about climate. Um, and that's our online data portal. Um, you can get that directly from our website at mrcc at purdue.edu um, or mrcc.purdue.edu. Um, and so you log in, it's at the top of the page under featured products, click that it's a free account. You can go in, click on that, uh, register for that free account, and you'll have access to pretty much all the data that we have within our system. Um, Hans is mentioning, you know, some of the different products that we have, especially looking at uh, precipitation over the growing season. Um, and so some of the things that we've noticed throughout this growing season is that we've had a lot of periods where um, we've had dry stretches of, of, of uh, you know, weather and we get uh, just in a small period of time, we get a large amount of rain that pretty much sits there and then we dry out again. Um, and that's something that uh, that we've seen pretty much all growing season long. We had a really dry stretch back in June um, that was then superseded by rain in early August, late July. And then moving forward into uh, September, we had another period of wet weather at the beginning of September. And then pretty much the spigots ran, uh, just stopped after that. And I know at my my place, I'm in north central Indiana, and uh, I've had less than two inches the entire month of August, uh, or sorry, entire month of September and October. Um, and so things have definitely dried out and definitely going to be difficult for, for things to emerge. So you're talking about both climate and weather using the terms in different ways. 
What's the difference between these two things? Yeah, people people get that uh, mixed up all the time, and something that uh, we we try to do our best to to be able to explain. Um, but when we're talking about weather, we're talking about the conditions of the atmosphere at a particular time and place. It's we like to to refer to that as the day to day. So d- it determines you know what type of jacket or what type of clothes you wear for that particular day. Um, when you're looking at climate, we're looking at longer periods of time, uh, generally 30 years of records and averaging those together. We like to refer to those as normals. And, uh, you know, I use the the uh, just the the analogy or the the example of having you know, deciding what you're wearing today. Uh, the climate is another way of determining what types of clothes you keep in your closet. Um, and so you can pull those out in any particular day. Um, and it's just typical of what we would see or what you would like to have at your disposal. Um, So looking at that, you know, when we talk about climate normals, um, again, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. It's a 30-year average. Um, We refer to those a lot of times in in climatology, and, and climatologists like to talk about temperature and precipitation. But any variable, weather variable, that's been measured for a period of 30 years, you can pretty much um, and, and during that time frame, you can get a normal for that variable. Um, <clears throat> looking at uh, the most recent normals, I mean, we the most recent ones are from 1991 to 2020. Um, and really kind of the biggest thing for the state of Indiana, you know, look at uh, average normal or normal precipitation for a, a given year. Uh, statewide, we average about 44.4 inches of rain in a given year. Um, and that does vary regionally across the state. So north, uh, central, and south all receive variable or different precipitation amounts. Um, but, you know, south generally receives more. Um, but those are some things that we consider when we're talking about climate and and trying to look at those things. And, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at the data over longer periods of time and try to assess trends. Uh, to see if there is anything happening, um, which, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about climate and climate change today. So the National Atmospheric Deposition Program has been measuring concentrations of sulfur and rainfall since the 80s. So they've got well over a 30-year record. And they have shown and are one of the lead indicators that we are not receiving the sulfur in our soils that we used to from rainfall. And you've seen this push in the last five or six years now to get tissue analyses done and see if you need to add some sulfur to field crops. Yeah. And one of the primary factors that's really kind of contributed to that was all the scrubbing that happens with the the stacks uh, with factories. Um, it's another thing. Um, they're, they're scrubbing a lot of that sulfur out. So um, we are seeing some of the deficits coming into play and um, you know, Sean Castile is, Purdue Extension soybean uh, specialist has done a lot of work with uh, soybean applications or AMS applications on soybeans. Uh, Bob Nielsen, a former extension specialist for corn, has done some on sulfur applications for corn, um, and they've got studies that you can look at as well. Hans, when farmers are asking you for different data sets, are they asking you more often for weather information or for climate information? Oh, I would say that I can say with some confidence that weather information is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, You know, what do we have rain in the forecast? Um, 
what kind of of recent weather data can we look at to make some short-term decisions on the farm um, of course then there are definitely climate climatological requests um, related to um, maybe historical data and things that that folks experienced when they were young or just getting started and how has that changed from where we're at today so uh, majority of information is weather information requests but there certainly is some climatology that's considered i'd also like to piggyback off of that I and mean, farmers are excellent keepers of climate and weather data um, because their whole industry relies on the weather um, and so you know a lot of folks i mean my father-in-law grew up on a farm and you know there's times where i'll sit here and, and talk with him and and he'll remember stuff that happened in 82, um, you know, and they remember, they recall these things just based on the, the growing season. Um, and it's just simply amazing because, you know, they they rely solely uh, well, a lot on the weather uh, to see how their yields turn out at the end of the year. So was 82 a drought year? I believe so. Um, but I think they one of the years in the 80s, um, they had a really wet spring um, and he remembers going out and planting uh, when weeds were as tall as the cab on the tractor. Yeah, that was uh, that was certainly interesting. That sounds like a real challenge to try to get through all of that. Yes. That's a different kind of planting green. Yes. <laughs> Not the kind of planting green that we want to do. <laughs> so what does all of this have to do with soil health, and what are some of the tools that the MRCC offers that farmers can use to help them have a more healthy soil? So let me let me start with how it relates to soil health, and then Austin can discuss the MRCC. Uh, a lot of the soil health diagnostic tests that I do uh, relate to um, aggregate stability as it relates to rainfall infiltration. And what we're seeing around the state of Indiana is a trend towards more precipitation and that precipitation falling in higher intensity events. And as a result of that, we have increased potential for soil erosion, increased potential for flooding, and all of the things that go along with that. So we know that uh, soil health management practices can help increase aggregate stability. So the reduction in potential for uh, soils to uh, erode with higher rainfall events, as well as uh, the ability for the soil to infiltrate water. Um, so as precipitation and the, the trends we see in climate in the state of Indiana relate to soil health, uh, a lot of that is through through that rainfall intensity. We've also got some uh, temperature trends that we look at a little bit, particularly in the state of Indiana, one that I like to expound upon is higher minimum summer temperatures. So the odds of getting 70 degree minimum temperatures in summertime where plants really uh, kick up their respiration rate and have a harder time committing resources to growth. And um, certainly the temperature of the soil itself as well during that time, whether you've got canopy closed or not, um, plays into the microbial activity in the soil and the ability for those roots to help offset some of the 
atmospheric temperature demands. Yeah. And <clears throat> to kind of just piggyback off of that, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about first how temperature has changed in the state of Indiana over the past 126 years. Um, <clears throat> when we look at periods of record of data, we've got data from 1895 to 2021 uh, for complete data sets. Um, <clears throat> and so, we, you know, we as climatologists, we pull in the data and and really kind of look at trend lines. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is fit a line to the data to try to help explain what's happening. Um, and so when we're looking at the data since 1895, um, the slope of the line gives us a rate of change. Now, if you go back to your high school math class where you're trying to determine the slope of a line, it's rise over run. We're trying to figure out how the temperature is changing over that period of time. And so when we're looking at that, the uh, temperature since 1895 in the state of Indiana to 2021 has increased by 1.41 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and really what we've seen more recently since 1960 uh, is that the rate of change that the temperature is changing is roughly four times the period of record. And so it's happening a lot more frequently in the last say 61 years. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking at that, you know, the, the, and the temperatures this year, we're still tracking um, above the 1895 to 2021 period of record and um, did the same analysis for for precipitation yesterday um, and and looking at that um, using the same method uh, we since 1895 we've increased um, precipitation by 6.55 inches uh, since 1895 um, and so that's that's uh, that's pretty pretty interesting uh, looking at that. But the more interesting piece uh, is that the uh, the the rate at which it is increasing is much faster again since 1960, um, and so that's that's something that uh, you know we're keeping an eye on. The other thing with that that Hans mentioned is yes, things are coming in um, at at you know we're getting more amounts of rain um, in shorter periods of time. Uh, and so when we're looking at that, we've actually seen a 42% increase in the amount of rain falling and heavy downpours. Uh, and so what do we do with all that water? And so what else than using soil health management practices to be able to help um, use and, and move and, and displace that water so we're not dealing with uh, so much flood, soil loss uh, into streams and so on and so forth. Um, but over over uh, uh, the period of record, we've definitely increased the number of days where we have more extreme precipitation events. Um, and you don't really have to look too far or too far in the past uh, around the Midwest. We've had several instances where we've had you know 10 inch plus rains in short periods of time, massive flooding events, loss of life, um, especially um, you know in southeast Indiana. Um, where flood waters, you know, practically just right, came up overnight and swept a home away. Um, you know, just tragic stories that you hear after that. Um, you know, that, the other thing you see is that uh, Chicago Bears game on September 11th uh, and 12th, where uh, all the players are out running and sliding on the field. Uh, just different things that you see. Uh, you know, a lot of different things that you see with that. But back to the MRCC. All this data that I've 
you know, been rambling off and, and, you know, talking about exists in the climate portal and you can pull it yourself. And the thing is, is like, if, if you don't believe someone else that, uh, that things are changing, grab, I, I strongly encourage you to grab the data, pull it yourself, run these trends and you'll get pretty much the same result that we're getting. And, you know, it's really important to see that. Um, I will say that, uh, We'll talk about the regional mesnet program here coming up soon, um, but ultimately what we're doing with that is uh, we are in the process of developing, um, we've received funding to develop soil temperature climatologies, um, and some of those things will in help with um, determining whether grounds is warm enough or ready to go across the region for planting in the springtime um, and, and stuff like that, especially um, we don't really like to encourage fall anhydrous ammonia applications. We know that it still happens. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, looking at temperature temperatures in the fall um, and when temperatures would get below or soil temperatures would get below 50 degrees, um, you know, kind of looking at it from that standpoint. But, uh, you know, we know that this is happening. Uh, we know stream flows are increasing, uh, but it's something that we're going to have to manage moving forward. Um, and I know later podcasts, you guys will be getting into uh, more of the projections with climate change. Here's a question for you related to all that rain. I was taking a look at the U.S. drought monitor this morning and a lot of the country is dark red and there's a lot of orange. How does all of this drought that's happening correlate with all the rain that we've been seeing lately as well? Yeah, so I think, you know, given this, there's a lot of extremes, right? There's a lot of back and forth, a lot of variability. Um, overall, when you're looking at uh, normals uh, or comparing things to normals, um, you know, the months and stuff, the temperatures are, and precipitation are kind of averaging out uh, pretty close or if not above normal for a lot of the period. Um, but this year is is a little bit different. We're a lot of, especially Indiana, we're, we're – uh, anywhere from three to eight inches uh, below normal for the growing season in some spots, um, 50 to 75% of normal. Um, you know, looking at that, you know, there's a lot of spatial variability in these rain events. And so um, some of those areas are reflected in the drought monitor um, where you don't see the abnormally dry or the drought conditions. Um, so again, just a lot of variability that goes in that uh, into, into, the precipitation that's falling. Um, one other thing that, you know, is interesting, especially looking at the uh, Mississippi River, uh, where some of the sections uh, down in the southern part of the country are actually uh, drying up and 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 the water levels are, are low enough to where it's actually reducing barge traffic across it. And, uh, you know, what, how is that going to impact things as well? So, it, um, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of variability between years um, we, especially, uh, one of the things with, with, uh, projections that you guys will get into at some point is that there's a lot of seasonal variability. Um, and so our winter and, uh, winter and early spring precipitation is expected to increase. Um, but looking at summer and fall, uh, trends are down for actual total precipitation during that time frame. Um, or those seasons. And the, those things are just, you know, are we going to have to, you know, especially another thing, a benefit of having these soil health management practices that you're able to hold on to the water a bit longer 
um, and and help with those types of things. Um, and so, you know, another thing that we'll have to worry about is, you know, this excessive heat stress and higher temperatures that, uh, you know, where days are greater than 86 degrees and we start accumulating stress degree days, you know, <laughs> crops everywhere I looked in June when we had over 90 degrees, uh, for temperatures in central Indiana, every every cornfield and every soybean field was stressed um and even into july uh, until we started receiving some of the rains and even after we received rains those crops were still trying to conserve as much moisture as they could um and so you'll see the pineapple corn the soybeans of uh, rolling their their leaves or flipping their leaves to try to conserve moisture and um, i think we're always going to have that heat stress there and you know i think the short they like they don't like to use the term flash drought anymore, but rapid onset of droughts. Um, those are things that uh, that we have to really kind of worry about, especially if we have high temperatures, um, because the evaporative demands uh, things things evaporate fairly quickly at warmer temperatures. We only had flash drought as a thing for a few years before they decided it shouldn't be a thing anymore. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Going back to the drought monitor, I also want to point out that I don't like to decouple the drought monitor from the U.S. seasonal drought outlook that is released by the uh, Climate Prediction Center. And if we look at that for uh, October 1 through the end of this year, it does show that drought development is likely across a, a larger part of the U.S. It does not address the state of Indiana per se, but we are going into a La Nina winter, which puts a bullseye for higher precipitation across the state of Indiana. So we may be um, progressing towards drought conditions at the moment, but this winter, perhaps into early spring, uh, we are predicted to see those La Nina increases in precipitation. One thing I've been really interested in is the conversation around climate resilience. I've heard it a lot in the ag tech sector. We have our own farm where we're thinking about those types of things. We planted some Christmas trees this spring, had a hard time putting them in the ground because it rained so much. Then in June, when they really needed the rain, it didn't rain. And then again this fall, when they're needing some precipitation, we're not seeing anything. So we're trying to find some ways to make sure that they're going to get the precipitation they need when we have really dry days. So can you talk to the concept of climate resilience, maybe what you're seeing, some practices on the ground here in Indiana, and how they're helping soil health? Sure. So climate resilience and climate smart agriculture go back to uh, a series of practices that allow a farm to thrive no matter if conditions would happen to be droughty or if there happen to be torrential downpours and rainfall. So for your example, like the one thing that you would not want to do is nothing because we're going to keep seeing droughty conditions and torrential downpours. What you might want to look into for Christmas trees could be an irrigation of some kind. Drip irrigation is probably the most conservation friendly, but also look into uh, some soil health practices that might be able to start 
uh, building your soil up a little bit to be able to hold on to more water. Now, that can look a, a variety of different ways, depending on how the farm might be set up. A Christmas tree farm, I don't have near as much experience with as I would corn or soybeans. But there's certainly something that you can do to help make yourself more climate resilient. Resilient. Uh, uh, what you wouldn't want to do is do nothing or assume that someone else is going to come in and fix everything. Uh, there were a lot of drought tolerant hybrids that came on the market after the drought of 2012. And that was the result of some research and development that was done by companies. But in this case for climate resilience, we don't want to assume that an outside party is going to come in with the new, newest, latest, greatest and fix everything. We want to make sure that on our individual farms, we're actively managing to make ourselves climate smart. That makes a lot of sense. Austin, do you have any feedback on that? Yeah, I'd just like to echo what what Han said. I mean, it's, it, do something. Uh, you know, make sure that uh, you, know, you can consult with your extension educator within counties uh, with your extension system. Try to figure out the best climate smart ag practice for you. So, uh, the Indiana State Climate Office, the Purdue Climate Change Research Center uh, extension. Uh, we all partnered together and developed a series called Farming for a Better Climate. Uh, and that was featured in the Pest and Crop Newsletter. Uh, and that is actually still housed on the Indiana State Climate Office website. So if you go to their uh, Indiana State Climate Office website and go under research, you will see the Farming for a Better Climate. We've got topics all the way from soil health practices, uh, nutrient management practices, and then also animal uh, management, manure management. Um, and it's really kind of a cool series that we focused on to try to help um, decide what you can do uh, in, in, in this type of a situation. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the MRCC and there's another organization that's called the Midwest Climate Hub. How are these two organizations different? Uh, so the Midwest Climate Hub is a partner with us. Uh, we partner a lot with them. We actually receive funding for special projects uh, helping with uh, solutions that issues or things identifying trends and data or resources for farmers to help combat against climate change and help make them more resilient. Um, the Midwest Climate Hub is actually directed by Dr. Dennis Toddy, um, and it's actually located out in Iowa. Um, they provide information to help agriculture producers cope with climate change, um, but they also serve as a clearinghouse for a lot of climate resources um, and, and help farmers with uh, those types of things. So we work a lot with them. Um, we all, they also host monthly webinars to kind of look at the general overview of how things are agriculturally. Um, and so we provide input to those calls. Um, and then they also um, help with the uh, national uh, climate reports um, or the North Central Region Climate Report webinars that, that happen um, every month. So um, they kind of help out with that. Hans has worked with Dennis uh, very regularly as part of the North Central Climate Collaborative. Um, and so Hans, did you have anything else that you have to say about the Midwest Climate Hub? Oh, uh, not specifically. I think you did a good job of explaining what they do. And um, I think that the opportunities for collaboration that are going to come from the uh, recent grant proposals from USDA NIFA 
uh, are going to provide uh, even more opportunities for partnerships, um, not only between climatological entities like the MRCC and the Midwest Climate Hub, but also between conservation agencies, potentially. If a farmer wanted to get information about climate and relate it to his or her own farm, how would they go about that? Would they contact one of you? Would they go straight to the MRCC website to take a look at some data? What's the best way for somebody to get that information? Yeah. Um, so for those that are uh, particularly tech savvy and and are you know comfortable with getting on websites, you know, feel free to go and poke around and try to find uh, resources and stuff. I know this is completely unrelated, but we do have a tool called Weather on Your Birthday, and you can print a certificate with the the weather that was on your birthday. Completely unrelated to climate change, but uh, you know, one of those things. There's a lot of different things on there. If you do have questions about things, please feel free to reach out to us. We're always uh, very easy to talk to, and you know, you can either pick up the phone and call us, and we'll call you back. Um, if we don't answer, um, also, uh, you know, we have a, uh, on our about us page, we have a ticketing system where you can actually submit requests, uh, submit questions and comments. You can get us uh, through those tickets on the website, uh, or you can just send us an email. Um, and our email address is mrcc at purdue.edu. And again, that was mrcc at purdue.edu. I actually took a look at that birthday weather app and found out that it was chilly on a November day. That somehow doesn't surprise me, <laughs> but it just kind of depends on where you are, right? That's right. So what's the number one thing that you wish everyone knew about MRCC and weather? We tossed around a lot of ideas here. There's a lot to think about, but what's the number one takeaway you would want everybody to think about as they go about their day? Yeah, I, I Ultimately, number one, I just want folks to understand that there is a Midwestern Regional Climate Center and that we're here to help. Um, you know, we help all kinds of stakeholders. So um, all the way from, you know, farmers, uh, private investigators, insurance agencies, um, natural resources, conservation service, conservation like minded folks. And we're here to help everyone um, we can provide climate data um, we all also always get suggestions on new tools to develop um, and so there are climate change specific tools that you'd like to see developed um, or any particular climate uh, related tool developed let us know and we'll try to look into that and and do that and we are constantly you know gathering feedback from stakeholders to address um, community related concerns and issues um, and that's primarily what we're what we're here for. And um, you know, that's kind of what I would like to say. I think prepare to be underwhelmed when you go to the weather on your birthday. Uh, I was born July 30th and uh, that particular day was a summer day. And that's really all I can say about that. But the low temperature that day was 60. A July day with a low temperature is 60 around Evansville Regional Airport. So that's something. I bet General, there was fog. I don't know. High 86. Low of 60? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Could have been. Probably. Either way, we're off topic. In general, not specifically related to the MRCC, the one thing I wish everyone knew about the weather is that uh, most of your forecast tools delineate day and night 
at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So I hear a lot of people saying, well, there's a 60% chance of rain tonight, but there's a you know, 70% chance tomorrow. And those percentage chances can be highly affected by on which side of 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. that the precipitation is likely to fall. And that's not something that, that a lot of people delve into. This has been an information-filled podcast, and there's been a lot of interesting talk about weather and climate, definitely things that we need to be thinking about as we go into the future of farming. Hans, Austin, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Soil Health Podcast. This episode was brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about their efforts and see a schedule of events at ccsin.org. For Who's Your Ag Today, I'm Elise Koning. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, create your riches below the surface with healthy soil.